So excited to be here doing this three-service thing and going uh, and, and kind of launching into this new series, My Near-Death Experiment. I wrote the book that's out there, and the reason why we're doing this is because I, I have this conviction that, and I, I believe this with all my heart, that change, life change, comes from either inspiration or desperation. And you probably know that. You can either be inspired and want to make some changes and some decisions, or you can be desperate because of circumstances have gotten that bad. You've heard of the term rock bottom, right? And so our hope with this series is that we would choose inspiration, that we would choose truth, that we would choose learning, that we would choose learning from someone else, learning from scripture, learning from the lives of people around us, and that what God is saying and whispering to us, and that we would make some changes, that we would have some renewed perspectives, that we would just let him do what he wants to do in this next season. So I'm excited to be about it. Now, here I got this idea called my near-death experiment quite a, several years ago when I was leading a college ministry at Arizona State of all places. And I was, I was leading this thing there and I was with these college students that were just, they were just living for the moment. They were just party to party. Like they, all they could think about was passing their class and then the next party. And so I'm thinking, okay, it's good. You know, like have fun in college. That's great and everything. But some of them were just living with so little purpose hating themselves, not knowing what life's about. And, and, and I, I was trying to think, how can I convey, how can I inspire, how can I bring them along to consider that life has purpose, that life is more than just the next party, that you can't just waste these young years. God has something for you in these years. Whether you're 92, 22, it doesn't matter. God has something for you if you're still alive. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine at the time who had actually had a near-death experience. And I thought, and, and I, was, I was inspired by him because he had come so close to dying. He had fallen off the back of a boat and the propeller had gotten him and gotten him here and here. And he, I mean, hung on barely by a thread to life. And then now that he was alive, he woke up and he felt like, oh, oh. God has so much purpose for my life. There's, there's, there's so much in this. And, and I've been wasting my time. And so he switched jobs. He was in a job that he wasn't inspired by, so he switched jobs. He started spending more time with his family. He made all these kind of reorienting decisions. And at the time, I wasn't feeling very impassioned. And so I looked at him and I was like, I want more of that. How do I get that kind of passion for life? How do I get that kind of inspiration without the whole propeller thing? I, I can do without the, you know, the propeller cutting through half of my body. How do, I, how do I live that with that kind of passion without having to have a near-death experience? So we're doing an experiment, right? Now, at the same time, Hillary and I had just been married a short time, and, uh, and we got this call three months into marriage. We got a call from her mom, and it was, her mom was on the other end of the line, and mom said, you know, Hillary, I've got bad news. The cancer is back. And Hillary said, no, no, mom, no, you know, and she was on a flight a few hours later, and she was with her mom in Washington, and so I flew up a little bit after that, and I got the privilege of being with her mom and being with Hillary and being with the family for those last couple of weeks. And I was there when the doctor called and said, you know, yeah, we've tried chemo, we've tried this stuff, and it's, it's pancreatic, and it's the worst kind of pancreatic, and it's going to go fast, and I'm sorry. And her mom puts the phone down and looks at us, and Hillary's just devastated. Everyone's devastated. And she goes, let's play cards, you know, because I mean, what, what do you do? When you get that kind of news. And I had the privilege of them being there and watching Hillary as she rubbed her mom's feet, you know, and combed her hair. And I had the privilege of being there in, in you know, 
she wouldn't, at, at the point, the last couple days when she was in her bed and she didn't get out of her bed anymore. And I can't remember what it was, but Hillary and her aunt, they went to go get her her medicine or something like that. I'm just standing there and Kimmy's on the bed and she reaches out her hand and takes my hand and she says, take care of my little girl. It's stuff like that that marks you. Proximity to death brings clarity to life. So that's why we're having a near-death experiment. Because there's something, there's, there's more passion, there's more purpose, there's more for you. And I know, because I've lived it, there are, there are some of you who have abandoned dreams. There are some of you that feel stuck. There are some of you that feel discouraged. There are some of you that feel hopeless. There are some of you that know you're on this trajectory, and now you feel like you're on this one, or maybe just at least this one. And you're just cruising and going through the motions. So we want to do something about that. And we're going to be in this for the next six weeks, and we're going to be talking about real principles, purposes, things, uh, practical habits that will improve, that will change your life. But today, we're laying the foundation that we can't miss. I'm so glad that you're here. You don't want to miss this foundation. We're talking about one simple idea, one idea that sets the stage for everything else. We'll get, we'll get all the tools and all the things. They're in the book. We're going to talk about some of them. But this one principle, this one truth and idea will set you up for, for anything, for whatever kind of change, whatever kind of hope, whatever kind of newness and passion for life that you want to experience. And to talk about it, we're going to use a guy named Joseph. Not Joseph who was married to Mary, but Joseph from the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 37. Let me set this up for you, though. Joseph was one of the younger brothers, and he was his dad's favorite. His dad had like at least 12 kids. I say at least because at that point, I think you just stop counting. You're like, I don't know. I, we hit a dozen a while back, and we, she just keeps on having kids. So Joseph, Joseph, but he was his dad's favorite. And his dad was, his dad was like over the top about I don't know if you've experienced favoritism in a family, but it's not a good thing. And, and Joseph was clearly the favorite, and his dad made him this, like, this crazy robe, this crazy garment to prove that he was the favorite. And you know that Joseph wore it around like his letterman's jacket, right? I mean, with the badges and everything. Because he would just put it in his brother's face. It was like, it was like flashing lights. I'm better than you. Dad likes me more than you. Have you seen the play, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? That's what that's about. Is his dad loved him more, and he gave him this big coat, and he paid special attention to him, and Joseph was the chosen one. Joseph was the special one. And you can imagine the other siblings going like, who is this guy? Let's forget this guy. This, this is, you know, horrible. And Joseph made it worse. Not only did he wear the coat all the time, but he also had a dream, a couple of dreams. In one of the dreams, Joseph, they're like stalks of grain, and Joseph's stock of grain was standing like this, and all the other, his brothers and everyone else, bowed down to his. And then he has another dream that there's 12 stars, and his star is here, and the other stars, I don't know what it looks like for a star to bow down, but apparently a star like bowed down to Joseph's star. And he told his brothers that. <laughs> Get this, God just gave me this dream, and in it, you all bow to me. I'm 17, you're older off doing stuff. I'm smaller than you. He should have thought that one through a little bit more, right? Family Dynamics 101. Don't taunt your older, bigger brothers saying that you're better than them, that they're going to bow down to you, and that your father likes you best. 
You know, Joseph's life, is, it's, it wasn't off to a good start. And so the brothers, even though Joseph is like this, you know, the special kid, the brothers can't stand him. And so we pick it up here in verse 19. The brothers are outside one day and they say, here comes the dreamer. Here comes the punk kid with the dreams that says he's better than us. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Then we'll see if those dreams play out. We're going to punk this kid. We're going to throw him in the deal. We're going to kill him. And this dream thing will be a distant memory, right? So it's not going well so far. His brothers really don't like him. And so question, that's how it plays out. They beat him. They throw him in this pit. But then one of the brothers kind of stands up and says, um, he's nervous. He's like, don't kill the kid. Uh, uh, uh. Why would we kill him? We can make money from him. And so there's some slave traders that come by. They sell their brother to be a slave. The slave traders take him to a distant land. Okay? Joseph, the chosen one, the loved one, the one on this trajectory, thrown in a ditch, beaten, robe taken from him, kicked and left by his own family, sold into slavery, taken to a foreign land. That's now Joseph's story. So what do you do? What do you do in your life? When it's supposed to go like this, and then this happens, or this happens, or this happens, what do you do? When you're on this road, you're on this journey, life is supposed to be this big epic drama, right? It's supposed to be this great thing. It's supposed to be this fulfilling God. Certainly, like, you gave me this dream. You gave me this passion. You gave me this hope. What the heck am I doing in the pit? Now you're letting me be sold into... Have you been there? God, life was supposed to be like this. I was supposed to be married by now. I was supposed to have kids by now. I was supposed to get that job. I was supposed, whatever was supposed to play out. You, you put this idea and this passion inside of me. Why isn't it working? Why am I here? Why these circumstances? This makes no sense. The drama unfolds. It gets even worse for Joseph. But he, I mean, he's this unbelievable guy. And even in the midst of these circumstances, he makes choices to wake up and to give it his best where he is. So he's sold by the slave traders to a guy named Potiphar, who's an official in kind of the Egyptian kingdom. And he goes to work for Potiphar, and it says this in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. If you have a pen and you're following around in your outline, underline the Lord was with Joseph. Some of you don't know what to do with pens anymore. They, they're writing implements. Um, they kind of leave a trace where you mark them. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of of, of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar, his master, put him in charge of his whole household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian, because of Joseph. Now, hold on a second. The Lord blessed who? God blessed 
The other guy, God bless Potiphar, the master, and his whole household and everyone else working there. The Bible says that God blessed the other people for Joseph's hard work and faithfulness. For Joseph waking up every day with passion to do the right thing and to give the master his best. For Joseph organizing this household. For Joseph being faithful. For Joseph getting, st- getting things done. And God blessed the household. God blessed the Egyptian. What? Have you ever felt like people are being blessed around you? Things are, seem to be working out well for these other people. God, I keep showing up. Or maybe I've failed a bunch, but my heart is good. And I want to do what's right. And yet you're not blessing me. You're blessing other people. My situation is like this. And and I'm working really hard and being diligent and trying to be faithful. And this is what's happening out here. You're blessing other people. You're blessing that guy. And it gets even worse. Now, Joseph, this part is like straight out of the original Real Housewives of Egypt. Okay, watch me. This is, this is, gonna, this is crazy. Now, Joseph was, a well-built, was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. You got to love the Bible, right? It's just, it's just real. It's just like, this is what's going down. So Joseph is not a bad-looking guy, and he's so good at what he does that after a while, people are talking about him, and he gets more attention. And now the wife's like, okay, this, this kid, it's not bad. And she makes a pass at him. Now, Joseph, you know, turns her down multiple times, and he gets a lot of credit for that. But let's be honest, we don't know what this woman looked like, uh, right? I mean, this could have been like a no-brainer situation. You're like, please, no. But somehow, somehow Joseph is strong. He turns her down time and time again. Look at verse 8. It says, he refused. And this is amazing what he says. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife, by the way. How then, get this, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Whoa, whoa, whoa. The, the same God that gave you dreams and a robe and things like that and then let you be abused, abandoned, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, taken to a foreign land. That God? That God that you've still been waking up every day and faithfully serving on behalf of, but nothing has changed in your circumstances? You're still a slave? That God? You don't want to sin against that God? Really? And he says, no, he refuses to do it. So how does somebody do that? How does someone have that kind of character and conviction? How how does someone make those kind of decisions? How does someone live with that kind of passion that they can make the most of that kind of circumstance? How do you do it? Joseph did what anyone would do who had been abused, abandoned, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, taken to a foreign land, who believed that God was with him. And so you would think that certainly for his faithfulness that this would all turn around. Like, man, with that kind of character, with that kind of devotion, certainly. Nope. He says no to uh, 
to, Pharaoh, to Potiphar's wife, and she at least had some man hands because she grabbed onto that robe once and like pulled it off of him, and he ran out of the house naked. And she was like, you, you know, come to bed with me. And he's like, no, no, I can't. Robe, gone, naked, run. And then she's like standing there. That didn't go well, holding onto the, the guy's clothes. And she goes, hey, honey, that Hebrew kid that's been working so hard, it's all just been a front. He's actually been low profile waiting to rape me. And she accused Joseph of trying to rape her. Her husband is obviously furious, throws him in the dungeon. There's no discussion, there's no evidence, there's no fact-finding. Dungeon. So now Joseph's life has gone from really bad to worse. He finds himself in just this dirty, dark dungeon. Prison. Worse than the prison that you can imagine. And then look how Joseph handles it in the, the dungeon section. Chapter 39. But Joseph, while there in prison... The Lord was with him. Now, this is where I go, really? God, if this is how you're going to be with me, maybe you should go chum around with somebody else. I don't know if you noticed. I'm in a dungeon. And if you're God and you can, like, work out things and orchestrate lives and things like that and, like, bring opportunities and favor and jobs and, you know, relationships. And if you're God, you seem like maybe you should have that kind of capacity. How about out of the dungeon? How about not a slave anymore? If this is how you're going to be with someone, really? But Joseph knew that God was with him. And God showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, I've been through a rough time in my life where I went through a divorce a while ago, and I was just shocked, flipped upside down, didn't know which way was up, And I was like, God, really? I'm in ministry. I'm trying to serve you. I didn't really do like that bad of stuff. What was I not, what was supposed to, this isn't the way my life was supposed to go. It didn't have to go this way. Divorce, really? Why? Why would you allow me to be embarrassed like that? Why would I have to be broken that way? This is so humiliating. This is the worst. Stopped the organization that I was leading, sold the house in South County, went up to a conference in Tacoma, Washington. Didn't have anywhere else to go, so I just stayed a little bit longer. Found myself after this conference staying in a house, in a basement, in Tacoma. (laughs) You get it. With three other guys. One of whom, while I was sitting in the basement, in the corner, like crying about my life, like, really, God, this, this? Basement in Tacoma with these guys. And over there, my my new buddy is sitting watching MacGyver at 1.5 speed just to power through some more seasons. And I'm thinking, really? This is my life? God? This was my trajectory. You gave me these ideas and these passions. You put these things on my heart. You... 
this is where I was supposed to be going. And now this, this is my, and I will tell you, it is really difficult to wake up in those days when your circumstances are like that and to think that there's any purpose. God, I believe that you're great and that you're writing a big story, but the script you gave me sucks. Give me a new role in your story because this is not fair. This is not what I signed up for. That was me. Joseph, he seems to handle things a little bit differently. He works. He wakes up every day with passion and works to the extent that the prison warden puts him in charge of everything having to do with the prison. How do you do that? How do you make the most of the situation that you're in? How do you make the most of today when your life circumstances are not what you had in mind? Well, you do what Joseph did, what what anyone would do. Who had been abused, abandoned, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, taken to a foreign land, framed for rape, thrown into a prison, who believes that God is with you. Now, Joseph spends a little bit of time in prison, and a short time later, there's two guys that work for Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the king of all the land. He's the head honcho, and he's got a baker and a cupbearer. Cup, the cup guy, he just drinks the wine to make sure it's not poisonous. That's, that's kind of a luxury job until it's not, <laughs> right? You know? Uh, and so for whatever reason, you know, both these guys get on Pharaoh's bad side, and Pharaoh says, to the dungeon with the both of you. Yeah, because he can do that, like with a snap of a finger. So these guys find themselves in the dungeon. They were in the palace, now they're in the dungeon. And since Joseph is in charge of the dungeon, Joseph knows who's now in like cell block nine. He's like, hey, these two guys were with the Pharaoh, the leader of the free world, you know, or the not so free world. But he he was the guy, and these guys were close to him. And so one night, both of these guys at the same time have a dream. And they're freaking out. They're like, oh, that was the most vivid dream. Like, when I have dreams, they're not usually like that. This one is like etched in my mind. I'm going crazy here. And Joseph says, I can help you with that. And they're like, what? Who are you? I run the place down here. Oh, I guess you do. Okay. Well, my dream was this. And so Baker tells the dream. Cupbearer tells the dream. Joseph translates the dreams. To the one, he says, um, okay, um, Sorry, but uh, you're actually in three days from now, you're going to be pulled out of here, but then you're going to be put on a pole, you're going to be killed. And like, screw that. You don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't know how to tr- interpret dreams, you know? I'm going back to my mush. And the other guy he meets with, and he gets his dream, and he says, okay, good news for you. In three days from now, you're going to be lifted up, and you're going to be reinstated to your previous position. And the guy's like, oh, Awesome. Sorry about your dream, but awesome. You know, like, this will be great. Sure enough, three days later it happens. The one guy's brought out, killed. The other guy put back in his position. Joseph said to him when he translated, when he interpreted the dream, just do me one favor. When you're back up there with Pharaoh, and it plays out exactly like I'm telling you, remember me. (laughs) I'm a good guy. I work hard. You see, I keep this place spick and span, even though it's a dungeon. When you're back up there at Pharaoh's right hand, put in a good word for me. Cupbearer goes, he does his thing, totally forgets about Joseph. Can you imagine that? 
how hard would it have been, right? Just to get one little shout out with the head honcho. How hard would it have been just to, just to like slip them a note saying, you know, by the way, there's a good guy down there, right? How hard would it have been to just throw the guy a bone and he didn't. It's like you pray, you pray, God, if you just give me this one break, like if you just let this go through, it's not like the, the lights in heaven are gonna dim because of this miracle that you're doing for me. This is just like a simple little thing. It's not even a bit, you, you could totally change my circumstances. Just do this one little thing. Guy totally forgets about Joseph until a little while later, Pharaoh has a dream and Pharaoh is freaking out about it. He's like, this is, bring me all the smartest people. You know, let's get the Ouija boards and the magic stuff. And and no one could interpret it. They were like, oh, we got nothing. Or they might have like made up something. He's like, no, die. That's not right. It it didn't work. He's got all the smartest people. No one could interpret the dream. And then the cupbearer, oh, oh, shoot. Um, So Pharaoh, when I was in the dungeon, there was this guy, and he, he interpreted a dream for me. You should, you should go get him. But when you go get him, th- like, don't bring him near me because I, I, uh, he's been down there two more years, and I just totally forgot about it. So they go, they get Joseph. They clean him up, showers, robes, incense, shave. The beard had gotten pretty long. And so they bring him to Pharaoh. And those of you... Those of you who maybe, maybe you're not in like the pit right now. Maybe life is just kind of okay or pretty good. You, you get this. Joseph now has his moment. Like, like this is the moment. You know, like, like if I land this deal, everything changes. We're set for the year. If, if, if this project, if this thing happens, if this deal goes through, if this contract gets signed, we, we got it. We're good. We're out. We're out of the red and into the black. We're, we're, we're off and going. Everything changes. Our life will be different forever. If, if this one thing just happens, God, if you just give me this, right? It's, it, this is the moment that everything hinges on and, and life changes. And so Joseph, you know, he's looking good now. He's all dressed up. He's smelling good. He's got his moment toe-to-toe with the king of the land. He, you know he's ready. He's sharp. He's been running the dungeon. He can show his dungeon resume. Like, look what I did down there. I, like, I improved things by 25%, and, you know, you're what, whatever. He's got his moment with the guy, and look what he does. Joseph, verse 15 of chapter 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And here's Joseph's moment. He's right there. It's, it's, it's in his grasp. Verse 16, I cannot do it, Joseph says. What? I cannot. Joseph, you idiot. This is your moment. Like, like, like flex your interpretation muscles and make this thing happen, man. He's going to put you wherever you want. In the Just show him what you got. I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. The same God, the same God that allowed you to be abused, abandoned, thrown in a ditch, sold into slavery, taken to a foreign land, framed for rape, thrown in prison, forgotten in prison, that God, that God, you're taking no credit and you're you're pumping up that God right now? How do you do that in the biggest moment? How does someone whose life has just been shattered 
in a, in a circumstance where it would be really difficult to find any hope, how does someone wake up every day and give it their best and live with passion and do everything that they can to make the most of where they are? And then when they're given their get-out-of-jail-free moment, they don't even make it about them. They say, God will do it. How does someone live like that? Joseph does what anyone would do, who's been abused, abandoned, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, taken to a foreign land, framed for rape, thrown into prison, forgotten there when they believed that God is with them. And so he interprets the dream for Pharaoh. And the dream went something like this. And Pharaoh, there's going, to be, there's going to be this terrible famine. And no one, no one in the, like the known world is going to be able to have food. So what you should do these next seven years is you should stockpile food. Pharaoh's like, oh, man, okay, let's do this. And then Pharaoh says, how about you do it? How about I put you in charge of Egypt? <laughs> how about you go from dungeon to throne, essentially. How about I just make you my right-hand person and you run the kingdom and I'll just have your back. And sure enough, the years go by and there's a terrible famine. And in all the land, as far as you can see, as far as you know, as far as any, you know, any land, any villages, any people, they don't have any food, even in the faraway land where Joseph's family is. So the day comes when his brothers march because they hear that there's some food in this kingdom in Egypt. And they march and they come and they, they fill out the, all the little forms and they're begging, we really need this. We got this big family back home. You guys have it stockpiled. What do you say? Can you just give us some, just, just something, just some morsels? They get down on their knees and they beg this new ruler. And he looks over them and he realizes, this is my family. And the dream that God gave me way back there has come to fruition. How do you do that? How do you persevere through all that? You do it by just the realization of knowing that despite your circumstances, despite the fact that maybe you've been abused, abandoned, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, framed for rape, thrown in prison and forgotten, that God is with you and that he is telling a bigger story. He is telling a bigger story and you have a role to play. And even if you feel like my role in this story stinks right now, he's not done telling it. And all the purposes and the principles and the habits and the disciplines, it's all great and good and we'll talk about it, but we have to start with this reality that if you want to live the life that God intends you to live, you can and you can persevere and you can make the most of your circumstances, whether they're here or here, when you know that the God of the universe is with you. Anything is possible. And if things are hard, you're just on this side of the story. He's telling a bigger story. He's going to do something that you couldn't have imagined in the end. When that time comes, can you trust in this God that promises to never leave you or forsake you? Look at these last two verses. We read this at the beginning. We're going to read it again. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For I, the Lord, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And then when Jesus, before he left, and went back into heaven. He said these words, and surely I am with you always to the very 
end of the age. Regardless of your circumstances, can you ask yourself in this moment, what does it look like for me with the life that I have, whether my trajectory is like this right now or whether it's like this right now, what does it look like for me to believe that God is with me? What does a person who believes that do on a Monday? What does a person who believes that do at work? How does a person like that dare to dream despite what they see around them? How do we live with that? Despite how our journey has been with that conviction that God is with us. Now some of you maybe are are hearing that and figuring it out for the first time and you just need to pray and just say, God, I, I don't know if you've been with me. I'm not even sure completely what that means, but I want you with me. Teach me about that. Teach me about how I live with you. Others of you have made some kind of ongoing commitment to Jesus, but you've been stuck and you've been going through the motions and you've just been on cruise control, if not a downward trend. And you need to reaffirm in yourself that this story is not written that God is still with you, that even when he is silent, he is not absent, and that he is telling a bigger story. God, I pray that you would speak, that you would draw us to yourself, that you would teach us what it means to trust in the midst of circumstances that regardless of what we have gone through, regardless of where we are, regardless of however many times we may have failed, that we can start again right now in this moment knowing that you are good and that you are here and that you are with us and that you are still telling a story.